You are listening to Worldwide Engineering. Worldwide Engineering. Worldwide Engineering. Worldwide Engineering. Hello, Worldwide Engineers. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Leon Abood, founder of Worldwide Engineering, and I'm honestly just glad that you're here today with me. I'd love you to meet David and Tufik, who are the two founders of Renault & Co., Canada's digital law firm. Renault & Co. is a law firm that focuses on emerging technology law and helps startups grow, raise funds, and protect their intellectual properties and patents. If you are an aspiring entrepreneur or have an idea you know can change the world, this podcast interview is for you. With that said, I hope you enjoy, and I'll see you on the very other side. Let's get this going. Tufit, David, both, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's, it's a pleasure having you here. You know, the, the, the flow has been going well behind the camera. So let's get this rolling on a more formal stone. How have you guys been? Doing well, doing well. <laughs> yeah. Been an interesting week uh, for sure with us. Uh, next week's going to be a big one with a new launch of a website and legal product and everything. So we're excited. The team's growing. And how about yourself? You'll tell me about that in a bit. Before talking about myself, uh, for the people that don't know you, can you tell us a bit about each one of you, your backgrounds, and what led you to start and become the founders of Reno? If you- sure, yeah, I'll start. So my name is Tufik. Uh, I'm a lawyer in uh, emerging technology law, essentially a fancy way to say that we help startups uh, grow, uh, raise money, and protect their intellectual property. Uh, how did we start Reno? Uh, well, started Reno really uh, out of the love of technology. Uh, we had, uh, you know, I was, uh, I was working at a law firm that was pretty uh, classic, old school, and I was always interested, especially in blockchain and fintech, and uh, I, uh, you know, I was a little shy to bring them those clients because, you know, my senior lawyers didn't know what a Bitcoin was, <laughs> let alone any of the stuff that we were working with, which, you know, at, this, at that age, like, I had been in it for about two years, uh, so I already had a pretty good base knowledge. And then at a certain point, I had kind of um, uh, a client base on the side of people in crypto and stuff like that. And at a certain point, it started to make more money than my actual day job. And I you know, decided to uh, take the leap. They, they let me go too, because they didn't have enough work for me. So at the same time, it kind of worked out well. And at the same time, Dave and I uh, hanging out uh, on the weekends and stuff like that. Uh, Meeting up at uh, blockchain, Bitcoin conferences. It was right during the, the boom at the time. So everyone was trying to figure it out and we'd both been dabbling in it for, for years. And as soon as we started trying to get clients in and around the Bitcoin, blockchain space, emerging tech space, AI, it started grooving. As soon as we started wanting to do business together, business started growing. And from there, we just started growing the team growing the book of business, helping more and more entrepreneurs, work with more and more companies in different jurisdictions, mm-hmm. around Canada, around the world. And yeah, and that's why we're excited to be where we are now. It's a two year anniversary on, uh, on Monday for the, uh, for the firm since we incorporated. So that was a, a milestone uh, in and of itself. And yeah, enjoying it. So what do you guys specialize in exactly? If I was a company and I needed help for whatever service I'm in need of. Why would I come to Reno? So I think there's a couple of reasons. I think number one is that we just do startup law. Like all we do is that, right? Especially in high tech. 
So you could go to other lawyers and they might do some other stuff, but we just do this. Mm-hmm. On top of which, uh, I think what is even more important is that we're entrepreneurs ourselves. You know, we've started companies, you know, even not including Reno, and we've kind of walked uh, a mile in an entrepreneur's shoes. And, you know, we kind of say we're, we're a law firm for founders by founders because what we believe is that we're, we're not only coming in with good legal advice that we've done, you know, time and time again working with the clients that we have, but also on top of which, we're coming in with business strategic advice. And we're really coming in as partners to help you with the institutional knowledge that we've had incorporating over 150 startups, raising over $50 million, and just generally working um, with startups on a day-to-day basis and, and implementing that knowledge into your business. It creates a value add, which I don't think you find in your typical law firm. Mm-hmm. And it's that whole spectrum being able to work with clients and take them from the very beginning, if it's just incorporating, just getting you and your partners sorted out, to getting your first employees, getting your first clients, to then preparing for getting your first patent or your first trademark, mm-hmm. to then being able to ready to go to financing and evolving that way. We've done it ourselves to a degree, we've done it for a lot of other clients, and knowing that life cycle and being able to be in the trenches with you and talk about that type of stuff, that's really why people want to, want to come to us and want to work with us. And as well, we also, leverage as much technology as we can. We are, you know, we're going to be Canada's digital law firm and by having a total digital native life long before everyone else was remote, it's allowed us to be able to service clients wherever, whenever it was no going to ivory towers and looking at expensive paintings. It was about getting the work done as efficiently as possible and leveraging technology to do that. And we've continued to lean into that and we've uh, reaped dividends from that. Cool. That's amazing. You've talked a lot. The, the keyword intellectual property and patent has come up a few times. And that's something especially interesting for people with my background in engineering and technology is that a lot of times people like me are interested in building their own startup, building, starting their own business currently or in the future. And the thing with those types of business is that it's built on high tech, like you were saying. It's sophisticated technology. It's a sophisticated product. And something a lot of people get stuck on early on is that they think or they don't know how to how to um, patent their product. You know, they're thinking about patenting before they even have a product. So for people like this, what would you how would you guide them um, in terms of when should you think of getting a patent for your uh, idea and when's a good time to do that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, good questions there. And I think. I think this all goes down to, you know, the famous line in the notebook, what do you want? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and it's something that I, I do enjoy asking clients and I do ask them, you know, close your eyes, where do you want to be in 10 years, right? Now, we can't ask any of your listeners there, so let's create an avatar here and let's just say that you're kind of the quintessential startup founder you know, out of, out of university, let's say you have an engineering background, you have an idea, you've developed something which you believe could be proprietary, maybe in your master's courses or maybe through your research, and you really want to start commercializing this idea. So first things first, you have to look at your relationship with the university, right? Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people don't understand that when you go to university and you develop 
technologies through your research at a university. The university, usually in the agreements you've signed with the university, have a lot of rights to that. Essentially, grosso modo, and this is a generalization, but most of the time you have assigned your intellectual property rights to the university. And, and it's kind of like a lot of you might be listening to like, say what? <laughs> <laughs> but, it's, but it's true. Um, in, in, fact, in fact, you might not know this, but many universities will have uh, an office of commercialization right mm -hmm. in which they take your ideas and attempt to commercialize it now i'm not i'm not a right-wing nut, nut job but this is you know <laughs> just essentially like almost a communist idea where it's like give us your ideas and this bureaucrat will make it into a company right doesn't necessarily work this way but you have to take a look at your agreements and essentially see what's been assigned what's yours what's not yours and if you have assigned certain things with the university you might actually have to get a waiver or sort of an agreement with the university. One of our clients that we're working with, who was actually a professor um, at a university, you know, he already entered into that agreement with his university where the agreement was, yes, you're allowed to commercialize this intellectual property, but the university would have a right to license it at no cost at their discretion. Right? So these are certain That's types of, yeah, these are certain types of agreements that you will, might need to make in your, with your university if you uh, developed the technology within the framework of uh, the university setting. So let's say you've gotten over that bump in the road, uh, or not bump, I should say, more like challenge. And I guess, I guess the next step would really be kind of encapsulating that intellectual property within, within a corporate body, right? And that is, essentially having all the agreements in place from everyone who's kind of dealt with it to bring that intellectual property titles into a, 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 a essentially a vessel, right? Uh, which is usually done through your startup, a corporation, and that vessel will hold that intellectual property. And once you've done that, then I think the question of a patent may come up and I think a patent is something that really needs to be aligned with your end goals. And I think if you have the end goal of being acquired by a company that has a very robust patent strategy, then it makes sense to go ahead and begin building a very interesting patent portfolio, right? Some of these companies might be, for instance, uh, you know, IBM has an extremely large patent portfolio. Um, you know, the Ubers and the Amazons have huge patent portfolios. You essentially have to build that short list of, you know, potential acquiring companies that you may have, analyze their past acquisitions and see the patent portfolios that were available within those past acquisitions and analyze if that was one of the biggest factors. How do you see that? Is there a website where you, that's where you can publicly access? Oh, of course, it's all public. All these companies are public. They have to press release all of this. They have to disclose this to investors. Uh, all of this is public information. And that, that comes down to one of the trade-offs when you do it is you can do something behind the scenes that is very private and not have to release the patent. Because when you have the patent, it then goes public and then everyone else can see it and mm -hmm. can try and understand it and leverage it and go on 
within and go derivatives off of it. So that comes part of the strategy as well. You can not patent it, but leverage it better than anybody else or vice versa. Elon's a great example when they released all the Tesla IP and said, try and beat us at this game. You wouldn't be able to actually do it. We still think our ability to execute is stronger than the idea in and of itself is the execution is everything. So that's a big piece that comes down to it. And it's always a little bit different for, for hardware or software or algorithms or any of those different uh, pieces. It all comes down to your overall strategy with it and how secretive or unsecretive you want to be or how do you want to sell it and yeah. Yeah, Dave, Dave raises a good point. You know, we've actually told some clients like don't patent, right? Interesting. Because the moment you patent, it's public, public knowledge. And you know, patent trolls can take it and start using your ideas uh, in their technology, you might be like, oh, these patent trolls are just obscure entities like in, in, in Heartland, China. No, your patent trolls are like your Apples, your, your Samsungs are the biggest patent trolls. And what are you gonna do? Are you gonna sue Samsung? <laughs> Samsung will tell you to fuck off. <laughs> yeah. And little, little you and your startup are going to sue Samsung. Yeah. They're gonna say, try to exercise your patent right against them. And that's why it's a different approach to keeping this kind of stuff close to your chest and not releasing exactly what you're doing, but by building a real business that's able to generate revenue from your ideas and building a team around that and competing directly with another company that's in this market, whether the same size as you or smaller or bigger, if you are going to go after a Samsung, then if you have a full business and a full operation, then Samsung will just like buy your company and immerse you into their ecosystem rather than having this patent and then trying to compete. They'll just like look at it and be like, okay, we can just do this better ourselves. But if you're able to go strategically about it, then your whole entity is the valuable piece. The culture you bring, the team you develop, all that type of stuff. That's as valuable as just saying, oh, I got a patent and this is what it is. It's, yet again, it depends on, on your goals. And if you're trying to create like, you know, a company that's a lifestyle business to try to do something that's just someone else going to buy or use, it's very nuanced in what you want to get out of, you know, your business and entrepreneurship in general. So to file a patent, how novel does your idea have to be? What are, do you have a certain sets of criteria when your client comes up to you and he tells you, hey guys, I have this really, really cool idea. It's a software that's going to make your fridge talk to your microwave, which is going to talk to your Google Home. You know, do you have certain sets of criteria that, that enable you to identify if this is a patentable idea? Yeah, I think the patentability of an idea really depends upon, you know, what is already out there in the, uh, you know, in the current library of patents within within uh, within a jurisdiction or more, you know, more generally throughout the world because you do have to do a patentability search. You know, if you want it to be robust, it will have to be on a worldwide uh, basis. And again. The levels are dependent upon the maturity of the technology, um, you know, and if the technology has been quite matured, then the technology readiness level, the technology readiness level with the TRL of the patents uh, has to be quite high, right? Because there's been so much patents and so much development in that technology. Your best example is the steamboat. Very hard to get a patent for a steamboat. Steam engine. <laughs> steam engine. <laughs> yeah. 
Because of that, it's already so robust out there, the incremental piece, like, no, like, this has already been done and dusted. And that's why things like AI right now and whatnot, the approach is very different because everyone thinks they have, like, a brand new idea, but that's also evolving because there's been so much shit just thrown at the wall and trying to see what's going to stay. Yeah, and it's creating a lot of troubles with that as well because, you know, some of those earlier patents, so to speak, let's say on AI, which essentially patents, you know, you know, generally speaking, neural networks and stuff like that. At this moment in time, you know, I think that uh, in retrospect, those patents shouldn't have maybe went through just general patents and neural networks. And now you see some overcorrections in the market, even with the European patent often saying that, you know, they're going to red flag all kind of neural network uh, patents going through uh, Europe just because of, you know, the, the fact that the novelty of that or is not really uh, uh, as, as unique to the, you know, purported inventor as was once thought. And I think neural networks are kind of ubiquitous in a lot of, you know, AI kind of development. So. so you can actually lose your patent before it expires under the pretext that it's not as novel as we thought it was. Um, I wouldn't say, uh, yeah, what would happen essentially is, is that let's say there was a certain patent, patents infringement or that one person thought another person's patent was infringing, uh, there you would have to, uh, usually in IP litigation, you go through at least in, in, in Canada and Quebec in particular is that. Uh, you would go and do what's called a patent validity kind of trial, which is before the actual uh, infringement trial, where we uh, see if the patents were uh, valid uh, at the beginning. And that's uh, a big part of the, 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 the strategic defense and the litigation process. There, there could be certain situations where patents can be morphed or void or, or whatever kind of comes about. Um, of of that uh, of that procedure, so yeah, it's it's it, there is a possibility that it could be done, but it's not something where you know SIBO or the USPTO uh, would you know would just blanket you know not to my knowledge at least they've done that. So I yeah. Cool. So what would you recommend someone? What would be the first steps for someone? to file a patent what is how do they take action in the first step can they do it themselves or is it a bit trickier um that's where they can start doing business with people companies like you or you know people that have already existing expertise with this specific uh, task yeah for sure so um yeah they could definitely come and see us to file patents and uh you know we have uh agents that we work with patent agents I'm not a patent agent, I'm a lawyer, just to make the distinction, but uh, that works That works in IP, but we have agents that uh, can file patents in Europe, uh, America, and Canada. And uh, I guess the first step really is to look at the technology and see if prima facie, we, we think that there's a novelness to that technology. I think afterwards we do what's called a patentability search, mm -hmm. um, which again, usually is done uh, uh, by a patent agent on a worldwide basis uh, to ensure that uh, we think that the patent has the ability to succeed and there might be certain modifications of, of the invention 
to make it succeed if there are certain things that seem too similar to the way in which you are proposing your idea. And then, um, and then next step, we would always suggest to do a provisional first. A uh, provisional patent is essentially a, a patent which reserves your right to patent for one year. And by doing so, you can uh, claim a variety of different claims and then hone in on the claims that work after maybe a year of development and a year of, of, of R&D. And you can really see what is, you can develop the, the technology a little bit more while uh, essentially reserving your right. And then uh, afterwards, uh, we would file we would file the patent within that year. And then down the line, you know, I think one of the nicest things is that you create a, you know, a patent cluster or a thicket in which uh, you start developing a section of, you know, almost consider it like a, like a, a patent, you know, all the patents in the world, the patent web, you can start developing a bit of a thicket there that allows you to have a robustness um, to the protection of your invention. And uh, that allows you, especially from an acquisition point of view, uh, very, uh, very attractive uh, to uh, certain acquirers who have an interest in patent portfolios. Right, the whole gambit and being able to go with the full picture rather than just focusing on one little piece or one little machine or widget, you can actually have the whole system and then every little part of the system. So the chances of someone coming in and being able to out-patent you or really go around, it's the, it's the whole ideology and everything around it and the way it works that you then you actually own rather than just doing like a one-off piece and thinking, oh, I got my one patent on, on my one half-baked idea with no business model or anything and think you're good to go. It's it's far from that. It's a uh, well, different strategy. Uh, yeah, I will add if your strategy is to raise money, right? Uh, and not be and go acquired, then you could have kind of a one patent just so for marketing purposes where you can kind of have like, you say like patent, my patented technology, you know, and it's essentially, you know, it's for marketing purposes, you know, or by patent pending technology. So you can get away saying that. And again, it works really well. Some investors, they want to just check that box and they really like that. And uh, yeah, in that sense, you could have like one patent and gets gets you allowed to put it in your pitch deck and, and, and yeah. go on with your day. Exactly. Like <laughs> yeah. a little trademark putting TM on it and saying, oh, yeah. this is all mine. What it's actually worth and what it actually means is a totally different thing yeah. in the end of the day. But yeah, obviously raising money is a big thing for startups and it's a, another big piece of our business as well is helping people understand that spectrum of raising funds and what the different options are at the different points, helping them make sure that they don't get diluted so they don't lose their equity. A lot of people forget that when you start a company and you take on your first investor, you now have a boss again. You have someone else who owns a piece of your company and has a say in what goes on. So that's a big piece as well that we work with is really helping startups understand that whole spectrum of venture capital and angel investments and helping them protect themselves, negotiate and make sure they get the best deal and don't have someone Yet again, who's much more experienced about investing in startups, coming in and getting them the best deal because that's what they're good at too, you know? So that's a uh, part we enjoy. Right. You guys work a lot with um, innovative companies, you know, companies that are working on the latest cutting edge technology, blockchain, AI, all those things. So from your own personal opinions, what do you think, what are some technologies that you both have your eyes on for the future? 
all of them. <laughs> One that I just finished a deep dive research on over the summer was the future of aging and starting to treat aging as a disease and really not just assuming that just because our cells are evolving a certain way in our body and you know it's considered aging and just natural, that these aren't processes that we cannot understand in a lot of different ways. You know, when people die of old age, because they, the machinery really started breaking down. And it's really interesting to see how a lot of historical populations understood this. If you look at rapamycin and Easter Island and understanding how these molecules were actually able to prolong longevity for a lot of different populations at that time. And now we're actually able to get down to the molecular level and understand how that works. Our whole shift on this piece and the way we view the extension of life, and it's not even just living longer, it's the functional high performance years that we're gonna be able to have by being able to sequence our full genomes, understand how the telomeres at the end of our DNA actually degrade and how we stop that degradation. So a lot of these very interesting molecular biology techniques that right now we just sort of say, oh, this person's aging, they're getting old, they're getting wrinkly, their eyes are shit. We're, we're gonna actually be able to have a much better understanding not going to be tomorrow that we can reverse it, but as we understand this and we let, especially the younger populations, be able to track this over a long time, their relationship with aging and their body and how this works is going to uh, is going to evolve. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. How about you? So you're just talking about technology in general or commercialized uh, technology? Anything you want. I know you're big on crypto, so you definitely. Uh, know what's yeah i definitely like uh, obviously i'm very much in the crypto space everyone talks about DeFi these days and i think definitely decentralized finance is going to be for folks who don't know going to be an extremely huge player i think open banking is very interesting as well uh, the concept of kind of like standardized certain api systems amongst banks to allow third parties to kind of access and have the ability to give Uh, banking um, services, especially to folks such as the unbanked. Um, proof, uh, staking, staking as a service, I think is super cool. Like anything around for uh, staking pools or staking trusts, uh, I think uh, that could be a really interesting model uh, in the crypto space. Uh, generally, like, I don't know, I think space, space, going to space is also extremely interesting. One thing I would love to speak about is just like how close we are potentially in relative terms to interstellar space. And I was reading, I was reading about uh, this theory the other day called the Alcubierre drive. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's essentially a way in which um, we could potentially use Uh, it's super like, this is going to be like in 200 years, maybe, where this might actually start becoming in fruition. But it's essentially where we use the theory of relativity to be able to travel through space. So instead of actually having ourselves use combustion or other types of kind of, uh, you know, current mechanisms of space travel to go through space, we actually bend space-time and have space 
you know, move, move, move around. That's how yeah. a video game works. Yeah. As one of our fr- <laughs> uh, one of our friends taught me that. It's like that really changed my whole relationship with video games forever. Is that you're not running through the video game world. You're standing still, and the video game world's coming at you. And that's very much in relation to what you're talking about with space time. And that's the difference between is that space travel or is that like time travel? And there's a lot of theories around that as well. Is that where it's actually much easier to time travel because you're in the same space in a different loop on the time, and that's much easier than actually traveling a long, long distance, which is very hard. And especially trying to preserve like the the human vessel through that is like almost damn near impossible. So these types of like really reframing our knowledge in space and what we think space is. We always say there's so much dark matter, dark energy, all this type of stuff. We really don't know shit, you know, about this. The James Webb telescope is going to go up in a couple years. And we think Hubble's cool. It's not even going to come close to our understanding of this. And our ability to really understand how the different parts of our, I think first it's going to be our solar system. We're going to have a lot of advancements in really understanding how the different planets actually work and what's really going on in those atmospheres. And then the Milky Way and our really understanding of that, our own local black hole. With this James Webb, it's gonna be really interesting, really open our minds and that's way, they're gonna be all the way back to like some of the first like light that we think of as, you know, the beginning of time. That'll be, that'll be a huge one. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I agree. So yeah, there's a, you know, there's, there's some interesting research on that and it's theoretically possible uh, to do, and uh, it's not as far-fetched as one may. It's still pretty on the edge of far-fetched, but it's getting closer and closer to it. But yeah, it's exactly what Dave said, uh, our understanding of dark matter, and in this case, negative energy, because it will actually be negative energy that we will need to produce at a huge amount of sun to be able to actually uh, I forget which one, but it's, uh, I think you have to contract space-time and bend, you have to contract and expand space-time at both ends of the vessel. And then in that sense, you kind of, it's like a shortcut out of the laws of physics and you are entering into the laws of relativity. So I finished reading uh, this summer actually, which is a book and a series recommend overall is the three body problem. And it's a sci-fi trilogy written uh, from a Chinese author and actually the showrunners of Game of Thrones just picked it up to turn it into a Netflix series just the past couple of weeks, the news came out on it. And it's all about first contact and why and how you might or might not want to engage. And it explains a lot in like the technology that other aliens might have that are observing us. And the second book in the series is called uh, Dark Force. And it's all about keeping our mouth shut and not actually going out there to be found out about. Because every instance that we have in our humanity um, that has ever been a interaction between one technologically advanced species with a species that's maybe not so much has not turned out well for the one that's not quite as advanced. So if we think that the other forms of life that we might interact with are maybe more advanced than us, we should probably watch the, it's only been like 50, 60 years since we've been sending radio waves out in space and that cloud that's propagating out, we should be probably kind of cognizant of where that cloud's going and how we're actually gonna interact. So this book changed my mind on a lot, like it's. 
That sounds that cool. Was, that sounds yeah. interesting. What's it called again for the uh, listener? The Three Body Problem is the first book in the series, and that'll send you down the rabbit hole. And it's uh, well worth the read. So I guess the Voyager, the Voyager with the with the map to Earth is not the best idea. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I could have changed my mind. I think I already had a tattoo before I changed my mind. But, uh, yeah, it's. Uh, it is what it is. And how about yourself? You're uh, you're the one that's on top of all the technological trends, always posting the latest and greatest. Uh, what do you think? What's geeking you out the most these days? Honestly, one industry that I really want to go into in the future, um, one problem I want to solve actually is the problem of being a human. You know, we're 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 first. No, I mean, I mean, look, we we're a very. Um, advanced machine you know it has enabled us to go from being cavemen to being homo sapiens to becoming the society we are today but unfortunately our biological limitation our body our brain is it's a 20,000 year old machine and for us humans to achieve the next step of evolution which is probably going to be becoming an interstellar um, society to becoming, you know, multi-planetary, we're going to need to upgrade our body. And one thing I'm very interested in is a, em- the emerging field of brain-computing interface. So it's kind of on the lines of what Elon Musk is working on with Neuralink, where you use technology to upgrade your mind, to, sh- to, to, you know, to basically upgrade your mind. And that's something I definitely have my 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 eyes on and our minds are already so upgraded we're already you know we're already merged with our computers just just because we use our thumbs to access our brains right now and to communicate with people it's the it's the interaction with the technology that's going to change and i i agree and the way that they're going about it with having to like you know cut my skull open to put a chip on right now i'm not necessarily bullish on i'm completely bullish on the fact that a we're already you know brain computer interfaces has all this kind of stuff and the way we interact is going to have to be not very invasive to get mass adoption and the fact that we have rovers on mars that is a brain computer interface and it's not necessarily have to be our shitty physical vessel that goes into space it can be the swarms of robots and everything that we send that are controlled by our pods that are on earth or orbiting earth or orbiting mars or like wherever and the, the, the fact that the physical being doesn't have to be the one that goes on these adventures. The physical being is still experience it. Like if you're in VR on the like curiosity rover rolling around, you feel like you're on Mars. You can tell me different. You know what I mean? So that type of stuff, I agree. I'm definitely bullish on it. Um, but yeah, the, the medium in which we, which we get there, I think is totally going to be wide, wide open. It is. So where can people find you, you and your company, if they have any question, if they want to connect or if they have any inquiry for you? Uh, on our new website next week, uh, www.rentalco.com, uh, we'll be launching a, a whole new website, Candace Digital Law Firm, and you're going to be able to do anything your startup would need on there. A piece is going to be automated. If you're already kind of savvy and know exactly what you want, you're going to go on, automate your documents, and always connect with a lawyer and help make sure you've made the right decision and be on your way. And as well, you can reach out to us and we can do something totally customizable for you. And we can really work together in a totally tailored way. And at LinkedIn as well is where I think we do most of our, uh, most of our business. Um, yeah, always happy to chat. Uh, you know, we send you a little link. We can book a time to chat and then we're, we're on our way. So uh, definitely. Beautiful. David, Tufi, thank you so much for coming on the show.